that's going to be in the uh, foyer at the info booth. Uh, it's going to be actually um, a scripture journal for the book of Mark. We're actually in the book of Haggai today and, and again for next week. But uh, just for those who like to look ahead, um, after Haggai, we are going to be in Mark. And so those scripture journals are, are for you visiting, um, and they're for purchase also for anyone they may want to prep, prep for that. Uh, I want to make sure you know that. I want to make sure any families or nursing moms, we have our, our um, cry room over here and our family room over here as well. Um, thankfully, oh, it's so great. The couches are available. And so sometimes they're not. Uh, and so they are available. So if you are um, in that category and you want a little more comfier spot, uh, please don't hesitate to, to go over there because it's available to you. Uh, a few fun things this morning. Um, before we get started, I want to make you aware that we have a night of bingo coming up. Okay? This is very important because it's for everyone. So this is actually put on by the women's ministry, but it's not just for women this time around. It's for everyone, all ages. It's a fun night, free night. Oh, wait, just kidding. It says $5. Okay. Well, I'm sure if you don't have $5, you can still enter. Um, and so that's coming up in a few weeks or a couple weeks because we're already in mid-March. Um, I also want to make sure you know that uh, we do have, you've probably noticed it out front, we have some Sierra Bible tumblers. Um, uh, I know that some people are like, why do we need stuff, you know, like t-shirts and hats and things, right? And we don't need them, um, but they serve a purpose, right? Everyone walks around and they, you carry your hydro flask or your coffee bar mugs or whatever it is you're carrying, and you are just letting people know and reminding people when they see it that that thing exists, right? That that place exists. And so these serve the same purpose. They're not for profit. They're just as you carry it around at the gym or your job or your work, you're just reminding people that Sarah Bible Church does exist, and it's here, um, and it's just that little visual reminder. And so that's why we have things like that. I want to make sure you know they're, they're new, it's happening, uh, and they're here. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention, uh, Craig, you're here. Where are you, Craig? There's Craig. That's Craig, if you don't know him. Um, so if, if you don't know, uh, we actually do work with the homeless population a bit here in, in, in Truckee. Um, it's a kind of behind-the-scenes ministry. We don't have all these signs and slides and things like that, but that is happening, and Craig heads that up. Uh, I wanted to make you aware of it because if for, you know, it's, it's on your heart to work with that population in this community, um, I want you to get in touch with Craig, and he can share more on that and what they're doing, and, and they do things throughout the entire year. And so I haven't mentioned it before, and again, it's not all, like, fancy, right? That's nice. Um, but it's, it exists, and it's here. And so I want, I want you to know that we do work with that population. And so if you have uh, thoughts or heart for that, please connect with Craig. I will have information in the back in, in the coming weeks as well. So with that, I'm excited to let you know that Pastor Brad Knoll is wearing tennis shoes. <clears throat> Wait. <laughs> because... Because he is the one that's going to share the word with you this morning, all right? So let's welcome him. I do own shoes, multiple layers of them. Some of you, especially for like Easter. Hi, Noah. That's my son waving back there. Hi, buddy. Um, you know, I have my little uh, wing tips on. They're like, wow, you have shoes. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Our ushers will put one in your hand. And um, before we get started, we're kind of switching up some of our liturgy. If you don't know what liturgy is, 
Liturgy is kind of like our order of service, things that we do. And I want to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together this morning. So kind of sometimes changing things up uh, points your mind toward Jesus. That's ultimately what we're doing here. We want to engage your mind to the things of the Lord. So this morning, we're going to do kind of like the King James version of it. So there might be a little bit of thou's and thou forest, thou snots in there. But um, maybe you learned this in catechism. Maybe you, your parents taught this to you as a kid. But uh, it's up here. Thank you, Carissa, for putting that up on the, the screen there. Our words people back there, man, they do an amazing job. Can we give them <laughs> th- thankful for them? Some of these behind-the-scenes folks, you know. But uh, let's, let's pray this together. Prayer is a, is a form of worship that we can come. And let's, uh, let's say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, uh, the title of this message is Prescribed Worship for Your Soul. Many of us go to the doctor. We get uh, given a prescription. You take to the pharmacy, um, and we get our, our drug that we need, you know, or whatever not. Today, we are talking about prescribing worship unto the Lord, and uh, I used the word earlier this season with our worship leaders um, in correlation, ascribing, ascribing worship unto the Lord. And, and God has purposely written in the Word of God a certain way that you should interact with Him, a certain way that you should come and bring Him honor, praise, and glory. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but for most of us, I don't know about you, but we are prone to wander. We're prone to get distracted by the things of life, prone to um, find things that are raised up as idols maybe in our life. And just like the children of Israel, um, we get distracted by those things. And we need the reminder again to focus our eyes back to him. I'm reminded of the old hymn, Come Thou Fountain. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. As we've sang this morning again, the focus for your attention this morning is how and why we worship, who we worship. And our launching point is going to be out of Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, open your Bible. It's always good to bring your Bible, whether it's on a phone, whether it's the actual book. It's good to read it. Um, So, Haggai chapter 1, we're going to go backwards a little bit. I know Pastor Jesse has been in chapter 2, but I want to launch off of this morning's message with Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And we're going to pull three things out of this verse. First and foremost, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Exclamation point. Let me say it. Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Lord, may you speak to us. May we learn more from you. We want to honor you with our time and energy as we come today to hear from you, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first and foremost, out of this passage, consider 
your ways. A question and a statement for you to examine, to take apart, to, to think about why you do what you do. It's good for all of us to do that because it's a call ultimately to repentance. Everybody say repentance. It's one of those like, oh man, some preachers don't talk about that these days. They don't talk about sin anymore. If there's no sin, if there's no talking about the problem, there's no good news. There's no good, good news that Jesus came to die for sinners such as you and me, to redeem us, to make us new again, to make us whole. So when he, he says here, consider your ways, to, to kind of expound on that a little bit more, it's to say to examine, to look at the direction you are going, uh, the course of life that you think about, to evaluate, to ponder, to ask the question, why are you doing what you're doing? A self-evaluation is imperative to seeing how well we are hitting the target or missing the target, sinning. I uh, typically try to memorize the verses with my kids for Awana and, you know, in teaching them, trying to lead them, but, you know, little Noah, he's, he's four, and the first thing that they teach him in Awana is, is the A. Anybody know what the A stands for? All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and me and everyone outside these doors. All have sinned. But it's a call for you and me that we don't remain in that sin. And just like the children of Israel, they had lost sight of the who and the why of what they are doing. Maybe this morning you have lost sight of the who and why, and it's a call to come back. Jesus says, come back. Come, come. I implore you. Come, seek forgiveness. Know that grace is sufficient, that mercy is new every morning. And this is what the children of Israel needed to be reminded of also. A call to repentance. They lost sight of the why, like I said. And, and this is this Israel's MO. You read it all the way from Exodus all the way until Jesus comes. We find that, that they do well. God calls them to his greatness, his goodness, shows them miraculous things. And then what do they do? They turn. They turn to idols. They turn to worshiping the Baals of the world, the Asherahs of the world. They turn to um, graven images. They turn to themselves thinking that they are better than they really are. It's the same for you and me in many ways. We lose sight. We forget. We forget about the graces of God and his goodness and, and where he's brought us from point A to point B. And then we find ourselves like, spinning our wheels. And ultimately, just as the children of Israel, something will, will, will strike a fire. Maybe today is that fire. Maybe you're like, oh man, God is calling me back. The prophets of old, as Haggai or Zechariah or Zephaniah or, or Haggai, whoever you might mention in the Old Testament, they're always calling the children of Israel to repentance, to come back to the Lord, to set aside the worldly things and to uplift and to praise him for he is good and the only God. He's calling you and me the same today. Second Peter chapter three, I have a, a, a list of verses today. If you're taking notes, just, just jot down the address and then later you can go and underline them, highlight them, you know, do what you do in your Bible. But if, you, if you're quick on the spot, I invite you to turn to these, but I'm going to kind of shoot them off pretty quick. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. A great promise for you and me. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, I'm, I'm thankful that God is slow about coming back. Did you know he's coming back? That's exciting. You know, some of you are, man, like, this is exciting. Like, Russia's going to war. There's Ukraine. Man, these are just like all prophecies that we can uh, see maybe God working and moving. That is exciting. But may God continually be slow to coming back so that more people will come unto him. Maybe you're that person today. Before we kind of go on, like I want to make sure that maybe there's somebody today that's figuring out, trying to figure out like who God is. You don't know um, maybe nothing about God. God is drawing you. God has given a message for you and saying, I have come in the flesh to die for you as sinners, that if you admit that you are in need of him, believe on the Lord Jesus, confess with your mouth, the Bible says that you will be saved. Praise the Lord that we are saved. Saved from what? Eternal separation from our, our maker. Saved, saved from hell. Saved from, um, from, from fire and, and, and brimstone and gnashing of teeth. And again, like we don't want to just go to the fireproof aspect. But we now have the hope that we will spend eternity with him. And that is good news. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, it says, Come now and let us reason together saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. One of my favorite verses, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then should you die, O house of Israel? Lastly, Psalms 51, 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. It is a call for you and I to continually to be drawn in repentance. It's not a bad thing. It is an act of worship as we're going to find. Today is the day of salvation. Turn. Maybe there's something that's holding you back. Maybe there's something that you struggle with. God has given you his spirit that resides in your heart and you have the power from him to overcome those things. Lord, may you give strength to my brothers and sisters that are sitting under my voice tonight. Or tonight, this morning. Give us strength. Give us power. Not by strength, not by might. But by my spirit, says the Lord. As we go back to our initial passage, Haggai chapter 1, verse 7, we, we talked about considering your ways. We don't need to hit upon the repentance aspect anymore. I think you guys got that. Shake your head if you got that. Repentance, we turn away from this thing, not to another thing, but we turn to Jesus. It, it's, it's imperative that you get that in your mind because some people are like, okay, repentance is just turning. Well, we can turn to all kinds of things. I can turn to alcohol turn from alcohol, turn to drugs, I could turn to pornography, I could turn to this or that. No, turn your eyes back to Jesus. He goes on to say, go up to the mountains, bring wood, rebuild the temple that I may be pleased. I don't know about you, but I, like, I kind of grew up in, in kind of a heavy-fingered um, household as a kid. And I remember going to sleep as a kid. 
My father was a very do-as-I-say-and-not-as-I-do aspect, but I remember going to bed thinking that if I didn't confess my sins and then Jesus came back while I was still sleeping, I would go to hell. Anybody ever have, like, had that thought? Like you lose your salvation or God? Maybe it was just me. But anyways, I remember being scared of that as a kid. And that's not the case. The Bible tells us that God has forgiven the, the sins of yesterday, today, and forever. His blood is sufficient. The sacrifice is done. It is finished. It is well with my soul that I can say, Lord, you are in control. Nobody can snatch me from your hand. So maybe you need that reassurance today. There's nothing that you can do that can take you out of the hand of God. Nothing. Whether it be a simplest of sin or the gravest of sin, Jesus' blood is sufficient. And I'm thankful for that. But there we find that not in ourselves, but in Jesus alone, God sees us and is pleased. Jesus is ultimately the, the, the atoning sacrifice that, that God the Father sees us through. Not by our own good works, not by the things that you do, not by helping the grandma across the street, not by being perfect in the law, the Ten Commandments, the 226 laws or whatever it might be in the Old Testament. Not adhering to those things makes us right before God. We are made right by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. We talk about pleasure or being pleased. It's, it's satisfying the debt, that it would be accepted, that the um, expectation laid out by the Lord would be fulfilled to the fullest extent, not partially, but that he would look upon you and be like, man, well done, good and faithful servant. I look forward to that someday. One of, one of these days we will pass from this earth it is appointed for all men to die once and then the judgment. As we enter into heaven's gates, that's my, my desire. Lord, for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my desire for you also. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell within them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Are you his people? Do you know him? Have you come to saving grace? I need to preface that you cannot worship God if you are not saved. Let me say that again. Like if you have not come to saving grace, your, your, your works are like filthy rags. They're, they're still not, not acceptable. But if you have come to saving grace knowing that Jesus has died for you, admit, you believe, you confess, God says, well done, servant, because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Maybe you have an unsaved friend. God is the one that draws men unto himself. God is the one that takes the scales off the eyes. Pray for them. Pray that God will intervene. Pray that God will show them of his grace. Pray that God will save them and show them 
of who he is, his greatness, his goodness, and find pleasure in them also. Finding pleasure, you can think about as we gather here, you know, we, we come and worship unto the Lord, but throughout history we find that there was false worship and there was acceptable worship. And we can go down the, the whole sides of, you know, some churches are splitting over like you should do this, you shouldn't do this, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. But I want to share a couple things throughout the, the word that, that showed that there was a false worship. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel's Offering was accepted, Cain's was not. It might have been because it was vegetables versus meat. It might have been, but I believe it ultimately boiled down to Cain's heart and how he brought it. Secondly, we find that Aaron's son. Aaron was the brother of Moses, and he had sons, and then the royal priesthood, kind of. So as far as um, they would come, they would do offerings, they would um, light the the altar, they would do incense and stuff like that. Well, we find Aaron's sons, they brought the, what was called strange fire. You can read the story, and I believe it's in Exodus or Numbers, but strange fire. The worship of Baal, Baal and Ashtaroth. In the Old Testament, we find that, that people had these metal um, statues that they would come and they would bring babies and sacrifice babies on the, the altar. Imagine that. Bring your little baby boy. I'm worshiping this God that is dumb. And you put it on the hot, hot altar and burn him up. Sickening, right? False worship. Ananias and Sapphira. In the New Testament, we find for those guys, they came, they brought their tithe. But did they bring all their tithe? This, this isn't a tithe you know, sermon by any means. But they held back. The eye is consistent in all of these, these stories. I will do this despite you tell me to do this. I will ascend. Have you heard that before? I Has God really said? The enemy has, has weaved his way through all these stories to point to you and to point to me and lifting us above God. May it never be. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9 says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers are an abomination. The enemy wants us to be divided. He wants us to think that we can have one foot in the world and one foot with God. God doesn't want you to be double-minded. He wants you to be wholly his. I surrender all everything unto the Lord. Do you bring it before him and say, Lord, I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to serve the gods of this world, of mammon and culture, of recreation, of um, worshiping my spouse or my kids or anything like that. I want to worship you and you alone for you are worthy. You are deserving. Oh, I, I pray for that. Because there's a time of repentance and once you turn from that repentance and you move into worship now, now is the time to worship. Now is the time to point our direction and our eyes toward the who and the why that is deserving. Psalms chapter 51 verse 12, uh, a promise and a plea that the psalmist writes, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. It is by God's Spirit and God's Spirit alone that we can do this. 
When we try it on our own initiative, we fall flat on our face. When we try it in our flesh, we fail. But as we ask the Holy Spirit that now resides in your heart, the Holy Spirit that was promised to you and me as the seal that Jesus' sacrifice was made right with God the Father, you now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Pray and ask him for wisdom, for strength. He is your helper. Skip Isaac is one of my favorite pastors. I listen to him basically almost every day. And uh, he's a pastor out of Albuquerque. And he likes to have a lot of these uh, little phrases that I latch on to. And one, he says, the worship that God accepts is the worship that God prescribes. For us to find pleasure in the Lord, we've got to read this. We've got to find out what's right, what's wrong. So with that, let's turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. <clears throat> Should be a pretty familiar story, especially for those of you that uh, have watched The Chosen. I guess this, this story was amazing in The Chosen. I haven't seen it, but this is the woman at the well. Not, that wasn't a plug for the, the Chosen or anything. I'm not getting paid for that. But John chapter 4, we're going to read Quite a few, few verses here and follow along. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but also his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was, excuse me, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So sixth hour, you know, around noonish, so heat of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So mind you, there was definitely some separation between these two cultures. You know, and she's just straight asking me, one, I'm a Samaritan, but two, I'm a woman. You being a teacher, you being this person, why are you talking to me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and we, he would have given, it, given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this water from? I could almost see her being sarcastic. Like, you're going to draw water? You don't even have a bucket, dude. You know, but her, her mind and her, her thought is all on the physical here. We're going to find it's all, all on the physical. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the, water, the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she's not, she's not saved, so she's not thinking on the spiritual realm, right? She's not talking about like, oh man, you're going to feed my soul. She's still thinking like, well, Give me this so I don't have to come back here every day and get all this water for whoever I'm trying to serve. Jesus said to her, Call 
Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Oh man, the lights are starting to turn on. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Again, there was the vision even back then on, on the places to worship. You know, do you worship in SBC? Do you go to Tall Forest? Do you go to here? you go there? Oh, man, I'm staging my ground. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he kind of makes a plug that the Jews are important. Israel is important. I want you to keep that in mind as we kind of continue on here. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. love to be a, a fly on the wall, you know, in that conversation, just how that all went. I mean, we can, we can think about, you know, people's thoughts and stuff, but ultimately when he boils it down to the end here, that you must worship God in spirit and in truth. We don't have time to exegete this whole passage, but in spirit, one, we talked about that already, you must be saved to worship God. Um, in two, the spirit aspect, like your spirit inside of you needs to be alive again. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, for um, God has made you new creatures in him. We're no longer dead to the old things, but we are alive. But I want to camp on the truth aspect this morning. We talk about spirit and the truth, like we can get so stuffy with doctrine and theology that we've become of no use, but with good worship comes good theology and good doctrine. We can be whisked away by our own theology and our own thoughts or how we feel. And in fact, then we turn ultimately to an idol. We're making our worship about us again. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. No, let's bring it back to the word, spirit and in truth. Good doctrine and theology will always produce a right reaction and response to God. Bad theology and doctrine will do the contrary. I was reading an article this week. Sometimes I'll, I'll pull up this uh, news article from Table Talk magazine. If you ever have a chance, it's good. You can get a subscription or you can find it online. But um, the gentleman's name that wrote this article is David, David Barry. And we, when we talk about worship, sometimes we can get off on all these tangents. And listen to this analogy here. Walking into an unsupervised toddler nursery is enough to overwhelm most people. It's chaos. So you can go experience that right now if you go over there. You got kids going like this, la, 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 la. You got kids screaming, throwing things, chucking things. The children might be screaming, fighting, throwing toys, holding their hands over their ears, or doing any number of other things all at once. Children need uninstructed playtime or free time for their development. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Still, 
An adult overseer might reasonably conclude from the disorder that these children haven't agreed on what they are doing. We, have, um, we can tolerate a, a loud nursery, but in our context, such a free-for-all is objectionable. A disordered graduation or wedding ceremony would be inappropriate because it would distract from the unified focus of the gathering. The same principle applies when we worship. The image of, of nursery chaos is something like how Paul describes the worship at Corinth. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The issue wasn't hymns or lessons, but that each person worshipped as he saw fit. That climate resulted in believers not growing and unbelievers being hindered from understanding the gospel. So I don't want to go into the nuances of spiritual gifts and if they're relevant today or if they're not. But what I want to do is focus your attention that there should be order. There's order in worship. Imagine I go into a wedding and you got the bridesmaids running up and down the halls. You got, you know, somebody tooting the horn as the bride's coming through. I mean, I don't, we, we, can, we can get a whole list of things that would be inappropriate, right? My desire for you today is that we come in an orderly fashion as God has prescribed in worshiping him in spirit and in truth and as the God has, has proclaimed to us in his word. The first thing that I want to challenge you with in an orderly fashion is ordering, orderly, how do I say that? Focusing your mind. Okay, that's another way of saying it. Colossians chapter 3 says, set your mind on the things above. First and foremost, as we gather, our focus should not be on me, but should be on him. It shouldn't be on, well, Pastor Brad's speaking today. What time's lunch? It shouldn't be on, man, we're singing that song today. Oh. Focus your attention on Jesus. Sometimes we speak of, of life as being worship. And I'm guilty of that. Like, man, I need to worship through my job, through, um, you know, on the freeway, at the gym, all these different things. But one author that I found this week, he, he sums it up like this. Distinct activity in which we set aside other tasks and set our minds and hearts fully on the Lord in order to receive his word and to respond back to him with prayer and song. It's intentional. You know, we can go skiing. and Mind you, you can worship God through skiing. But more often than not, if I was skiing, I'd be excited about the new turn, the powder, all these different things. So my attention is, is all over the place. So in worship, ultimately, we, we are pointing to him and him alone, turning your attention toward him, your focus. In our culture, we find that people are fractured all over the place, and they'll tell you that, that for your truth is truth, but I don't believe that truth, and truth is relative. You guys heard that before? You know, all truths are truth. That's not absolute truth. It's an absolute truth that all your truths are not truth. I guess in saying that, yeah. God has prescribed us to worship in a certain way. Jesus tells us in a few passages, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus' prayer um, in, in the Gospels, it says, sanctify them in truth. He's praying for his disciples, for your word is truth. Lastly, Jesus answered Pilate 
Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This is why we emphasize the word of God so highly here. Without knowing the word of God, you are off in la-la land just kind of doing what you might see fit or what I might see fit or how I feel today. But if we bring it back to the absolute truth of how God has prescribed, how he has called you to know the truth, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We elevate that, that your faith may expound. That as we leave this place, people will see you as a follower of Christ and that you will know the scripture and be able to share the good news of the gospel that he has saved you, redeemed you. Some modes of worship that we find throughout scripture, we find that, that reading your Bible is an act of worship. So we, we just hit upon that. Prayer, uh, we changed up our liturgy today in, in saying the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't have to be wrought like that. But again, you're focusing your mind. So sometimes your prayer could just be like, ah. if you're focusing your mind on Jesus, God knows. In fact, the Holy Spirit, it says the word of God, that the Holy Spirit has groanings within us that we don't even understand and, and is praying for us. We have Jesus in heaven right now interceding for you and me constantly. Thank you, Lord. Fasting, mourning, Never thought about mourning as being an act of worship. You know, we miss the person, but ultimately we can say, Lord, there's nothing better than coming to a, a, a believer's memorial. Yes, there are tears. Yes, there, there is, is turmoil in our minds because we miss that person. But yes, we have the hope that they have just entered eternal life. I was talking with Jim. Jim's the gentleman that does a lot of our, our painting back here, and he's um, takes care of the facilities and stuff. And we were talking about the, the changing of a blink of an eye. And the blink of an eye, like, it's like nanoseconds. We were talking about it over, over breakfast with my kids. Like, how long is a blink of an eye? And they're like, like this? <laughs> you know, they're blinking their eyes. But a nanosecond that we will pass from their life, this life to the next. We don't fear death. We welcome it in some ways because we will spend eternity with him. Moving on, separation from sin. We talked about the repentance, turning aside. Confession, um, hearing and responding to God's word. We'll have a, a moment here to respond through music. Um, praise, adoration, thanksgiving, petition, intercession. Uh, for some of you, you were here early enough to partake in some fellowship next door. Stuff your faces with some of those good cinnamon rolls. I guess there were some cinnamon rolls over there. Um, you know, you have times that you can rub shoulders with, with other believers. That can be an act of worship. Bearing one's burdens. Man, the hope that you're, you're on the lookout for your brothers and sisters that are struggling. Put an arm around them. Um, lifting of hands. Sometimes you'll find that people will be in our congregation lifting their hands. It's an act of surrender. Lord, I lift my hands to you in praise. The bowing down. You'll do a lot of bowing here. Um, but you're welcome to if you wanted to. Nobody's going to look down on you. We find in the Old Testament especially that, that these guys would bow their faces to the ground low in humbleness. Um, I always mess up the words. Pro, prost, prostrate. Pro, prostate, prostrate. I get them mixed up. Prost, you know what I'm saying. Laying down flats. <laughs> An act of worship. Um, men, speaking to you even, leading your, your families well. 
Moms can lead their families well too, but God has specifically called you men to lead well, to love your wives in, a, in a, an orderly, reasonable way, to lead your, your kids well. I was, I was talking with a dad this past week, and, and sometimes we get the idea that for men to lead well, they've got to be having Bible studies and praying with their wife and holding hands and, and being prostate prayed before the ground. I won't say it again. I just had to get a reaction from you again. But He encouraged me, you know what? Leading well is being present. Leading well is working hard, providing for your family. Leading well is maybe taking five minutes at the end of the day and being face-to-face with your wife and just asking her how she's doing. You don't have to put this on a spiritual level always. That man, I'm not a good Bible teacher. Yes, you should be striving toward that. Washing your wife with the, the word. Just be there though. Be present. Moms, you guys lead well by loving your kids. Cooking for them, doing laundry. All those things, we lead well in that, that capacity. The list isn't exhaustive, but believe me, like these things matter. And God is pleased with you in doing this and striving for obedience, striving for um, what he has set for your life as his will for you. This challenges you to fact check your worship. Fact check, do you, do you know the why behind the who? Or are you just going through the motions like the Pharisees? If you read through the New Testament, the Pharisees, they looked really good. They had the a nice dress. They had the little boxes on their head and on their shoulders. They would go through and almost like a clanging cymbal. Look, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm not fasting, but they were. Fasting. I'm praying. Do you see me? What did Jesus say about them? They were whitewashed tombs. A whitewashed grave. A grave that looked good. It was all marble on the outside but in the de- inside of his death. They weren't alive. They weren't spiritually seeking after God. They were trying to do it their own way, the I. Set your minds on the Lord. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is a way of destruction or death. Let's not... Uh, Let's not think that we know everything. You know, some of you have teenagers, and even my, my daughter, is she in here? She's nine, but she's coming into that know-it-all stage. Let us not be the know-it-alls, thinking that we got it all figured out. God is insearchable. His depths are, are forever deep, like the ocean. May we continually seek after him. The Apostle Paul urges us, in Romans chapter 12. If you want to, you can turn there with me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Maybe this is the verse you have under your belt that you have memorized. But it's an encouragement to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, Another word for pleasure. He finds pleasure. Which is your spiritual service of worship. 
Pastor Jesse has been talking about the last couple of weeks specifically that we are the temple of God. Paul is telling us here, what are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your mind? Proverbs chapter 3 says that we should trust in the Lord with all of your heart, leaning not on, on your own understanding, acknowledging him in all your ways. And what does he promise? That he will direct your path. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Consider your ways. The third point here, as we go back to our original passage, Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. Consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Glorified. Looking up the... The meaning of that is basically a saying to give value, to show weightiness, importance, to promote, to make great, to bring honor, to uplift. Make God the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme. Is he that in your life? The Westminster Catechism states it this way, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Are we enjoying him? Are we bringing him glory in all that we do? Colossians chapter 3, as we move from that spiritual sense now to some tangible ways maybe that you can bring glory to God. Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do, it means anything, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Now, I have to preface that we do not teach a works-based theology here. You are saved by grace, through faith, through Christ, and Him alone. There's nothing that you can do. Your works, you, you can build up, you can do them all you want, but that will never make the ladder tall enough to make it to heaven. Jesus has bridged the gap. So, what do we do with works? James tells us faith without works is dead. So we have faith, we've come to saving grace, we know that God is good, that he is sufficient, that I can't make it. So what do we do with all these good works? What do I do? And Jesus ultimately boils it down to this, saying that, that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So it's not unto salvation, but it is a response an act of worship as a response that because I'm saved now, because God, you are great. I am going to respond in good works unto a dying world, unto my brothers and sisters, unto my spouse, my kids, etc., etc. And in fact, outside these walls, the Bible promises that through your good works and the things that you're doing in the hopes that they will turn and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, not works-based theology that we are saved by them, but that our faith is shown through them. He used the analogy of this cup that if I, if I move this cup really quick, all this water is going to pop out, right? Think of, of yourself as this cup. What is inside? That if we shake that cup, are people going to see Jesus? Are they going to see me and you or maybe your good theology, bad theology? I want them to see Jesus. Lord, may, you, may we be the reflection of you. 
So back to these people building the temple. I, I had the question, like, okay, God, like, the temple was destroyed in 586, if I'm not mistaken. Nebuchadnezzar came in and decimated it. Gone. Well, God, why? Why are you calling your people to build it again? And especially, like, a not very good one, it sounds like, where guys were, were mourning over it because it wasn't as beautiful. So these guys have been in captivity for 70 years plus. Some of them, I think, have been there even longer. So imagine this, like right now, let's say we're worshiping today. Tomorrow, Russia comes in and takes all of us and puts us into captivity. I know that's relevant today, right? Sorry. But it takes us. We now cannot worship Jesus. We can't offer up worship anymore. We are completely taken away. 70 years from now, probably majority of us will have died. Our kids might be there. They may have had kids. They don't know anything about what just happened this morning. They don't know that we used to sing songs. They don't know that we opened up the scriptures and read. They didn't know, etc., etc., etc. This is where the children of Israel were. They came out of captivity not knowing the ordinances of God anymore. They forgot the who and they forgot the why. Hence why they're sitting on their hands not building the temple. The who and the why. And God here is telling, stir it up, get it going. I want to dwell with my people. The temple back then, there was only that little area that God dwelled, the Shekinah glory dwelled there, that he was there. He wasn't amongst everybody. The Gentiles were in the outer court. The women were in the outer court. The, the priests were in the, a certain area. And only the high priest could go in. He was the only one that had access. So again, as we look at this, the importance of the temple is that, that he's calling God's people back. He's saying, come, let us reason. Come, let, come and worship. Back then, they, they killed those animals, right? It was a temporary covering that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. But with this, the building of the temple, it was a reminder that God was not done with his children. God had not forsaken them but his promise would be fulfilled that he's drawing them back. Israel was coming back. And we find even over the last few decades that Israel is still important. God still isn't done with Israel. There still is the promises for them, as well as the promises for you, the church. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. But he's called you to get the work. Get to work. The temple also foreshadowed the kingdom. So you read up here, a minor prophet with the kingdom message. Yes, the kingdom of Israel at that time, but also pointing to the millennial kingdom, pointing to the future kingdom, the coming of Christ, that he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Ever. One more, ever. That he will reign guess what? You're going to reign with them too. Yeah. The hope that lies within you is not just simply just words, but that one day we will enter the kingdom of heaven with Jesus and we will spend eternity with him. Oh, what an amazing thought. What an amazing promise that you are not left to your demise. That God didn't leave me how I was 22 years ago. I was broken without him. 
But now, I'm seen as righteous. You're seen as whole. You're seen as sanctified. You're seen as cleansed. You're seen as his dear child. No longer an enemy, but his. His beloved. Do you know that? Do you hold on to that? Because the day will come. Mind you, I know many of you, your minds, mine are, sword like these end times things, things that are happening overseas. Jesus, are you coming back? Will the rapture happen tomorrow? Wars and rumors of wars, fear, famine, pestilence. Matthew chapter 25, you can read all those promises. Those are good. Oh, man. Martyrs of the saints. Oh. You know what? Death is a blink of an eye. Be a follower of Christ. Be an example. Love others. Point them to Jesus. Lastly, the temple represented the Messiah. The coming of the king at that particular time, even as Jesus is talking to the lady at the well, there's going to come a day, there's going to come somebody. I am he. It's all, all ultimately about him. We don't have time this morning to dissect the whole temple, but there's a bunch of things that are in there. The furniture of the temple, it's an interesting study. If you ever have a chance, study, go through those things. But just quickly, there's the, the laver, the cleansing station. There's the brazen altar. Um, there's the, the showbread, table of showbread, the lampstand, the incense, the veil, the Ark of the Covenant. All these things were a foreshadowing of pointing to our Savior, Jesus. For he is the light of the world, the bread of life. He is the one that cleanses you, the living water. Like, I don't want to allegorize all these things, but all those things do point to him in some way or another. So as you leave here today, as you're thinking about that, Jesus is the ultimate goal. He's the one that should be glorified. I, I think back to Moses. Moses is on top of the mountain. People are doing stupid things down in the valley, worshiping a calf. And he's up there, God, show me your glory. What does God say? No one can see me. If you see me, you're going to what? You're going to die. Show me your glory. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to show you my glory. I'm just going to kind of just give you a little glimpse. We don't have that relationship. We don't have to worry about the Shekinah glory burning our face off, you know, Indiana Jones style. Why? Because we have Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of God, the glory residing in him. That's what Colossians talks about. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Um, is it Colossians chapter 3? I'm sorry. I skipped my spot there. Oh, I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 1. Turn there with me. If you've got a highlighter, highlight this. If you're ever witnessing to somebody and you're like, Jesus is not God, this is a good passage to go to. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is the, uh, excuse me, 
Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body in the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's all about Jesus, guys. All about Jesus. Jesus is the God, man. Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the one we adore. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know him? Have you forgotten the who? Have you forgotten the why? Now is the time to worship. In a moment, you guys are going to have a chance to respond through song. One way that we use to worship God. It's not the way. It's a way that we use in, in a mode of worshiping. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, they were continually devo- devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Colossians chapter 3, as Brad shared with you earlier, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. An opportunity to respond. Can you do it while you're driving your car? Yes. Can you do it while you're taking a shower? Yes. While you're pounding nails? Yes. But remember, turning your affection, your eyes, your mind toward God. I'm continually reminded, I shared with our worship leaders in our, our meeting a few weeks ago that The church in so many ways, I believe, has gotten to the point of emptying your mind, thinking about the emptying. I need to empty everything. That's contrary to what the Word says. God says to fill your mind with the things from above. Fill your mind with the Word. Turn your affections. This is an opportunity for you today. Let's sing of His greatness. Be reminded of His goodness. Don't forget the who and the why. Consider your ways. Bring him pleasure in all that you do and ultimately to bring him glory. Amen? Let's stand together, friends. We're going to sing. I invite you to celebrate by clapping your hands. Uh, We taught you this song last week. Uh, Let's join in worshiping our King. Lord, we, uh, we want to honor you in all that we do. We thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are just. Lord, that you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we admit that we are sinners saved by your grace. And Lord, yes, we we fail, but Lord, we know that you are true. Yes, we know that you are sanctifying us, making us new, making us holy for you are holy. Lord, may we turn aside from the things that we so easily get ensnared by. Lord, we'll want to be reminded just as the children of Israel, Lord, that... uh, that you are our cornerstone, our foundation, our rock. And Lord, we bring you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Lift up your voices and lift up your praise.